G'day, mate. What's your name? Hey, hey, we're on. I'm Turner Sparks. Turner Sparks. What do you do, Turner? Uh, I'm a stand-up comedian. Welcome back to another episode of Crowdworkcast. My name is Andrew Barnett. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, straight off the top, a massive apology. There was no show last week. Uh, long and short of it is, I ran out of banked episodes. I've had a really, really busy uh, January. Uh, I've been doing uh, some sports talk radio on uh, SEN here in Sydney, doing the drive shift with uh, the professor. So that took a lot of time. And then on top of that, we've also been working on a uh, another little project for a streaming service, and we're sort of recording a little pilot and stuff for them. I uh, can't say too much about it at this stage because we don't know what's going to happen with it, but hopefully, fingers crossed, um, that will come to fruition and you guys will be able to see exactly what stole my time in January and why um, you'll be able to enjoy that. And uh, yeah, very exciting times anyway. But uh, good reasons to have missed a show, but uh, apologies for missing one anyway. Now, we're back with a great episode this week, though. Uh, this week, I've got New York City-based comedian uh, Turner Sparks. Uh, I met Turner through a mutual friend of ours in stand-up, Nick Ratto. We did a bunch of Zoom gigs together over uh, over the COVID period. And um, yeah, I, last year, Turner was out in Melbourne. We hung out a bit. And then luckily enough, just, uh, just this week, he has been back doing gigs all through Sydney, He's a hilarious man. Um, he's well worth a follow. Uh, if you're on Instagram, at Turner Sparks, check him out. Uh, he posts comedy videos all the time. Uh, he's got two comedy albums, both recorded at the Friars Club. One is called Live at the Friars Club. That's from a couple of years ago. And his most recent one is called Double Happiness. Uh, fantastic stand-up, so check those out. Uh, he's also got a great podcast. It's called Lost in America. Um, that's basically where uh, he and another American comic contact uh, comedian friends in other countries where a big news story has happened where uh, they're not getting the full story in the US and they, they go through it in a comedic way. Uh, a really good listen, so check that out. That's called Lost in America. Um, Touring-wise, uh, if you're in Australia and you're listening to this, it might be a little while before Turner's back. Uh, fingers crossed it's not too long, uh, but if you're in the US, he's touring across the US. So all his tour dates and uh, that are in the link in his bio, in his Instagram, which once again is at Turner Sparks. So check him out. He's very funny. Now, in this episode, you've got to stick around right to the end because Turner has an amazing story about a gig that happened uh, here in Sydney where a bunch of very, very famous people turned up and it was a bit wild. So um, please stick around, hear all of that. Now, as for me, if you'd like to see me live, um, two main things I'm plugging at the moment. Brisbane Comedy Festival. I'll be there on May 6th. I will be in the Underground Theatre. Uh, it's just one show only. I'm pretty much up and back uh, that uh, weekend. So um, if you're in Brisbane or anywhere around and you'd like to come out and see me, please uh, get those tickets. They're on sale now through Brisbane Comedy Festival. And uh, Sydney, Sydney Comedy Festival. I'm doing the Enmore Comedy Club on May 20 and 21. So uh, I'll, I'll be doing those two nights. It's a, it's a Saturday and a Sunday. So uh, those tickets are on sale as well through Sydney Comedy Festival or Enmore Theatre. Um, so check those out. I'll have links in uh, my link tree, which is in my bio of my Instagram, at Andrew Barnett Comedy. Give me a follow. If you're enjoying the show, please do like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Reach out. Um, let me know that you're enjoying the show. Just uh, DM me on Instagram or leave a comment in the, uh, in the iTunes or wherever you listen to it. And uh, let me know who you'd like to see on the show and what you'd like me to ask them. Other than that, that's enough plugging. Let's get on with this episode. This is me and Turner Sparks. Yeah. 
and that's an accent you've got, Turner. Where oh. are you? A, where are you a stand-up comedian most of your time? New York City. New York City, the Big Apple. I've, yes. I've heard of that joint. It, uh, and so you're out in Australia at the moment, just gigging around. Yes. So can I pause for a second? This yeah. is the. Uh, not we don't have to pause the show. But so whenever I'm a, whenever someone's doing, you ever in a crowd? Yeah. You're waiting to go on next, and the comedian before you doesn't know who you are, and they accidentally start doing crowd work with you. Yeah. That's the feeling I have right now, which is like, just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. just play by the rules, don't say the right thing, don't say too much, don't say too little, just give them so they can keep going. But yeah. Well, the uh, the best one too is when there's someone new and their family sit right up the front. Yes. And you just like yeah, you see the MCs just ripping in. Oh yeah, dad, he's getting it away. It's just like this then, happens to me all the time because my wife is Chinese. And something about that throws people off where they just, <laughs> other comedians just do not, in no world do they assume that this Chinese person sitting in the front row could be my wife. She oh. always gets set in the front. She plays along. Like, they're like, all right, we need somebody to fill up the front. She's like, all right, fine, you know. And then she's almost always sitting next to a friend of mine <laughs> who's just some guy. Yeah. And then they're always like, so you two, are you two, what's the deal here? Are you, you banging? Two, you, you banging? <laughs> you two banging? And they'll be like, no. And they're like, what, first date? And they're just like, no. And like, whoa, you don't even, I bet you're going to get action tonight. Here we go. And then someone in the back will be like, that's Turner's wife. And they're like, ah, oh, shit. Right, oh, so. I love that. I had one time when I was like, early on, it would have been in a comedy competition. Like, and so I'm up the back and one of the guys, this guy, Dane Heiser, who's a lovely bloke, used to have this bit where he sort of, because he's really awkward on stage. And so he'd play up to it and try and flirt with someone in the audience. Anyway, yeah. he picks out my wife. In the audience, and at the end of it, he calls, "Okay, hot flaps." Jeez, just <laughs> <laughs> super aggressive thing. And my wife's beat red. She's yeah, not yeah. that. And so, um, I just sat at the back, and I was sitting with one of the other comics. So I said, "At what point do you think I tell Dane that's my wife?" And they're like, "He will be terrified." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I got a buddy in a comedy competition, um, who his. His wife, he's a very good friend of mine. We started out pretty much together. This was a competition in Hong Kong. I wasn't there, but I heard the story. Every year, that's where I met Nick Ratto, this like, who's a New Zealand comedian. This yeah, mutual friend of ours. Yeah, uh, this Hong Kong comedy competition. If you start stand-up anywhere in Asia, it's the biggest thing of the year. Everyone goes there from Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, China, Japan to do comedy. So this guy's doing comedy there. You get seven minutes, and his wife got super drunk and started heckling the other comedians. Oh, that is so during so their seven not minutes, helpful. and the other comedians were like, w "He should be kicked out of the competition." And he's a friend oh. of mine, but I'm like, "Yeah, I think yeah is but the answer." That's that thing. Even if you win, because there's one thing to win the competition, yeah, but the career isn't about that competition. These are all the people you're going to end up having to work with. Oh, and of course. And the whole thing is like, you know, comedians help each other all the way. Half the gigs you get are because someone else goes, oh, you know what, that person would be good for this. Of course. <laughs> and so you're putting everyone offside. Yeah, and this guy, he's, him and his wife are exact opposites. He's like quiet, shy, super polite. His wife's like loud. She's Australian. His wife's Australian, actually. He's American. And she got drunk. She's Get out drunk, of loud, aggressive, in your face. Nah. Uh, nah, nah. And he was so embarrassed. He was in the back, like, <laughs> what do I do? I don't know what to do. Uh, anyway, wild story. That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. So how, how long, how did you start? Where did you get your start? I started an open mic in 2000, December 2009 
in a place called Suzhou, China, which you couldn't be further from show business. It's, it's a classic story, Earth. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were you doing living in Suzhou? Suzhou. Suzhou. Yeah. Well, like Soju, but opposite. Like why like were you Suzhou. there? I went because okay. Because like, let's be honest, your accent doesn't reek of a guy who grew up in provincial China. It's not Chinese. <laughs> no. <laughs> provincial China. <laughs> I love the term. I uh, no. I moved. I finished university in two thousand four in the United States, and at that time, it, the thing to do it was either like get a job or go teach English in Asia. That that and that's like, hey, I don't want to be part of the world yet. Yeah, I'm gonna go do that. Like it'll be semester abroad. Continue. Bit of, yeah, a bit of yeah. adventure. Yeah. So yep. I would go do that for a year. And it was also the way, the whole point was um, to do something to where your parents could like brag to their friends at cocktail parties. <laughs> so everyone else is like, my son's a doctor, my yeah. son's a lawyer. And then my parents be like, my son lives in China. They don't even say what the job is. And people go, ooh, ooh. that's exciting. How exotic. Good enough. That's literally <laughs> the only thing, you know. So I could be a bum in China and they would be exciting. But if you're a bum in America, it's like, oh, this, you know, send yeah. him to rehab or something. Uh, and so I moved there in 2004. I taught English for a year uh, and then started an ice cream truck business in China called Mr. Softy. That it was a franchise of an American brand that I did for 10 years. So I did that from 2006 to 2016. And uh, halfway through that, I guess three years into that, decided I wanted to do stand up. I was interested in it. There was nowhere, th there was no stand-up comedy in China, so my friends and I just started an open mic. So this is this is just the logical prog career progression. Yeah, as, as near as I can tell it, you you finish university, you decide to go teach English in a yeah. foreign country, um, start an ice cream business as everyone does. Yep, <laughs> classic classic boy abroad story. Yeah. what what why what prompted the ice cream business? Why? Ice so cream. my roommate from college. One of my best friends, his grandfather started this company called Mr. Softy in the United States in like the 1950s, 1956. So is this so soft serve ice cream truck? Soft serve, soft serve on a truck. Yeah. Which so what we'd call Mr. Whippy, probably exactly. In Australia, yeah. I, probably the exact same thing. Yeah. So it's like banana splits, dip cone, chocolate dip cones, yeah. milkshakes. They make you know sprinkles all the, the whole thing. Serve. Yeah, the sprinkles, everything. Yeah. Hundred yes. percent chance of sprinkles every day. Excellent the weather report. <laughs> And it was, uh, and so they, I didn't even grow up with that in California. The only ice cream trucks we had was like the dodgy van where the guy was going to molest you. Yeah. But for the, but you also. But you got an ice cream. Yeah. You got like a popsicle. Yeah. For the molestation. <laughs> uh, and they did give Which, me the popsicle, by the on way. A, on yeah. a hot day in California. Hot day in California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do what you got to do for your popsicle, you know? And so. I was blown away going to the East Coast to even see these trucks. And there was about six or 700 of them up and down the East Coast. It's oh, a wow. big, big thing in the U.S. Yeah. There's a... Um, do they play... Do the trucks play music? Yes. Do they play Green Sleeves? No, it's their own song. Their own song. They so wrote... Here, all the ice cream trucks, you, yeah. just, you play Green Sleeves. And to this day, it's like Pavlov's dogs. If I hear that being played, I'm like... 
Which funny. one's green sleeves? Oh, okay, yes. And so if you, if Australians my age hear that, it's like you start going, Mum, I need some cash. Exactly. It's the same with the Mr. Yeah. Softy song. What's the Mr. Softy song? That's a bit more upbeat than Green Sleeves, probably. So there's a classic Eddie Murphy bit about the Mr. Softy track. Oh, yes. You ain't got no ice cream. <laughs> yes. Your mama's on the welfare. That's He's he's like, yeah, the Mr. Softy truck's coming around. He mentions Mr. Softy. Right. There's a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode about the Mr. Softy truck. Uh, it pops up in, in pop culture. Yeah, yeah. You just don't realize it until you hear it. So anyway, um, that so I knew that brand, and I was close with the family. And I when I was in China that first year, the only place to get soft serve ice cream in the whole country was McDonald's or KFC. They both had it soft serve ice cream. KFC had soft serve. Yeah, it was it, and and they were it was so popular that they didn't sell it in the store. Next to the store, they would have what we would call like a drive-through window. Yeah. But they it wasn't drive-through, like it was in the big downtown districts just to walk up, essentially walking up to a drive-through window where they only sold the soft serve. <laughs> And the idea was to keep the soft serve people out of the regular store because there were so many that wanted it. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, that's you probably because it'd be cheaper. Yeah, so, you, so they're just coming in for business. ice cream. Yeah, yeah. So all day, every day, there was a line of 30 people constantly, a constant line of 30 people just waiting at that window. Oh, wow. And so I was like, this is, but, but all they had was vanilla, I think only vanilla. And they didn't have, they might have had like the real basic McDonald's Sunday where they just, you know, yeah, pump yeah. in a couple, like a little hot chocolate, that's it. They didn't have it the whole menu. And so I thought, well, if, if this is popular just off of a window, what if they see a truck driving around? They can do like everything, like yes. 60 different things. So we did, so I told the softy people in the US, they said, uh, sounds good, but I'm, we're not entrusting our business to you. <laughs> I was 22 years yeah. old. I had no business. I'm teaching English. I was a communications <laughs> major in yeah. college, which is at University of Miami. I mean, it's yeah. like nothing. And so um, we put some money together through family, friends, and stuff. And the three of me, Alex, the grandson of the founder, and our, our Chinese friend, this guy, Jeffrey Tsai, and we got enough money to buy one truck. So we just oh, we wow. essentially bought a franchise truck. And that blew up. And we used that money to buy. We ended up with 10 trucks and two stores. Wow. And we did that for 10 years. Wow. So that was that business. So yeah. what, what happened? What, like, what, why are you still living the ice cream millions? Or what <laughs> no. happened at the end there? So at the end, ev so halfway through that, I started in an open mic, stand yep. up. There was no stand up in the country. We started an uh, open mic. That uh, a monthly, that turned into weekly, which then turned into a, uh, a tour. Like I started producing shows around yeah. Suzhou and Shanghai. Shanghai was the closest big city. I mean, our city was 9 million people, but Suzhou was 23 million people. Okay. So I mean, Shanghai was 23 million people. Yeah. Suzhou was 9 million. Yeah. No, 9 million is not a big city. China it's like standards. a mid-sized city. That's insane. Yeah. As... Because you're, you're currently in a country that's, what we, I think we're 26 million all up. So that's the size of Shanghai yeah. by itself. That's insane. Isn't that wild? That is. And even at the height of it in Shanghai, the expat community, like the English-speaking expat community, not Cre counting the Koreans and Japanese, was 100,000 people. That's crazy. That's a good, yeah. That's a city. Yeah. So you, And so you've obviously, starting comedy, 
yeah. the expats familiar with that. Yeah, it's a little bit of that. Oh, this is this feels familiar. This is yeah, and we're doing it in English. Yeah, yeah. At the start, eventually it was uh, there was Chinese language shows and English shows. Oh wow! On the same night, like one at seven p.m., one at nine p.m., one at eleven p.m. Like so, this is mainland China. Mainland China. Um, yeah, about halfway down, you know, where Shanghai is, and within. So we'll stick with the comedy for a minute. Within the so Suzhou was uh, fifty kilo, sixty kilometers from Shanghai. Yep. And then within this little radius that was the size of the state of New York, which is not gigantic, um, there was a hundred million people. It was spread across seven cities. Wow. Yeah, and so and this the the bullet train, you could get to any one of those within at long at longest two hours on the bullet train. At shortest, 20 minutes. That's insane. So my friend Andy Curtin, who now is the head of comedy for Live Nation in Australia, New Zealand, and Asia, he and I started together. N- neither one of us had done comedy before. He's living in Shanghai. I'm in Suzhou. We start producing bar shows around the area. And then eventually we get a full-time place in Suzhou, a full-time place in Shanghai. And uh, we start doing a weekly show in Suzhou and two or three nights a week in Shanghai. And then we started a tour. So we would bring comedians over from the US, or the UK, I guess, and um, they would, we could hit six of these cities without having to leave this really tight geographical area. So it makes, like, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and we could go on the bullet train. So for like eight US dollars, you could travel from city to city. Holy shit. And you could also do one in, say, Nanjing. And the next night, it, pretty easy to the next night go to another city, the next night another city, the next night another city. And each one of these cities is at minimum 10 million people, 9 or 10 million people. So there's going to be some level Yeah, of so you do a bar. You can get 100 people in the back of the expat. Like the, uh, every city has an Irish bar. You just go there. I think that's a rule around they, the world. Yeah, <laughs> they have a back room. So you're like, give us the back room once a month. We'll do this tour. We're bringing over. Uh, Ari Shafir came and did it. Who's a oh, wow. name. Um, Tom Rhodes did it a hundred times. Really? Yeah, Des Bishop from uh, the Irish guy. Yep. Um, who else? I mean, like I don't know, like t- tons of comics came and did it. And so we would go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at some of these other cities, and then Friday, Saturday in Shanghai at our main club. Oh wow! And sometimes we'd go t- the weekend before too. It'd be like a two week trip. So with mainland China, obviously now. I dare say he's a little bit different in terms of... A little different. <laughs> was there... <laughs> yeah. Well, but was there restrictions on... Did you have to be careful with what the comics were saying or... So at the time, um, the president of China was named Hu Jintao. Yep. And he was very, as they had been since the mid-80s, very pro-opening uh, to the West, opening to the world, bringing in foreign business. In the city I lived in, the neighborhood I lived in, there was 100 of the Fortune 500 companies had representation, had offices. In Suzhou, not even yeah. Shanghai. And, um, and that was by design. The, they wanted foreign business to come in to kind of create jobs for the local people, but also create like white-collar jobs where yeah. people could eventually learn how to do this, maybe start their own business. And so what they saw us as is this thing – that technically what we were doing was illegal. Oh, really? Technically. Like, it, technically, you need any gathering of over 50 people in China for no matter what it is, church service, 
just hanging out on the street, a comet, whatever, a, a basketball game you're going to watch. Any event over 50 people needs a permit. <laughs> any event. Like so birth, a big birthday party. A big birthday. Yeah. Wow. Literally anything by law needs oh, a man. permit. That'd be handy like when you're planning a wedding or something. Like, it's, oh, <laughs> yeah. I would love to, but the permit. <laughs> uh. I would love to invite you, but it's literally illegal. Yeah. <laughs> Damn government. And so, because the idea is that anything could be a threat to their, the way it's seen by the Chinese government is that anything could be a threat to their stability. You could be organizing some anti-communist meeting or something. Right. So they operate that way is that yep. anything can be a threat. And so technically our, sh our sh venue held 100 people. We ended up opening a full time club in Shanghai and it, it held 100 people. But the way that government looked at us is, hey, this is entertainment for the bored expats that we want here because they're employing yeah. our people. So we need that. We need these people to come to want to come here and work here. Yeah. This so is something we, yeah. that's entertaining them. It's in a foreign language. Let it's them not really it. affecting the locals. Yeah, so they yeah. kind of operated in this idea of until they screw up, we'll just let them do what they want. But what we told everybody is we don't want to screw up. So yep. the ways to not do that, you don't mention uh, Tibet. Yep. You don't mention Tiananmen Square. You don't mention Taiwan. And you don't mention the president by name. That was it. Anything else? You could come in and go, oh, the pollution here is awful. Like, and, of course, that's a byproduct of government, thing, like, yeah, yeah. What, whatever they uh, did. But it, you could that, they didn't care. All that kind of stuff was fine. It was just those three things. And, like, Ari Shafir famously said when we told him, he's like, oh, man, I'll have to take all that Chinese government stuff out of my act. <laughs> like, who cares? Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's pretty easy to avoid. For, um, yeah, for, for a visiting act, you, you, if you're not really – um, you know, way deep into the local politics. I mean, he didn't. Most people didn't know who Hu Jintao was anyway. Yeah. So and you know, they're more like, oh, what's the shit neighborhood around here? <laughs> That's it. That yeah. I can, that I can rag on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your version of Starbucks? I got a Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in Shanghai, it was Starbucks. Uh, we had <laughs> yeah. that too. So, uh, so that's the kind of way that was at that time. So it was pretty free in that wow. sense. Wow. Yeah. And so your ice cream, you got your ice cream business, your comedy business. Mm. Well. Oh, so so I I start getting kind of better and better at stand up, and I start there, there gets to this point where five days a week I'm doing Mr. Softy Monday through Friday. On the weekends I'm flying to Singapore, Malaysia, wherever it might be to go headline some show. And uh, I gotta say, there's nothing worse than going and headlining a show and then coming back Monday morning hungover and having to deal with like paperwork <laughs> and a small business. And you're yeah. like, oh, but I was famous in that other place. Yeah. You know? uh, so anyway, I'm doing that, and but I love both of them. So I, I couldn't. It was hard for me to pick. Also, Mr. Softy Ice Cream was doing really well, mm. and so um, eventually, the government in China all changed. Um, the new government was pretty much the opposite. Became pretty anti-foreign, yep. wanted all the foreigners out. Like, thank you. You've, we've learned all we need to learn. Time for you all to go home. Yeah. And part of that was uh, – it wasn't a policy, but my local business – my Mr. Softy business, the local government officials, the new ones who came in, were like, how does this guy have this super successful ice cream truck business in our town? And they're like, oh, well, we give him permits. And they're like, oh, cool, problem solved. Let's just not give him permits anymore. <laughs> and so my permits went away. They had their relatives, excuse me, um, 
copy our business and park like <laughs> next to us. That's not the Chiana, right? Yeah, and then and, and it, even to the point where they would have them come work for us. Unbeknownst to us, we'd hire some guy. He was the cousin of a government official. He'd work for us for six months, steal as much as he could in terms of money. And then once we fired him, a week later, he would have his own truck. And I, it takes like three months to make these trucks. Yeah. So it was in the works. And then we would complain to the government and be like, hey, this guy doesn't have a permit. We do have a permit. Can you? We were idiots. I didn't know that this was all cooked <laughs> up. I'm like, why doesn't this guy have a permit? We do. They're like, we'll check on that. And then a week later, they're like, all right, problem solved. Now you don't have a permit. So oh, no more complaining. So anyway, people always ask, like, how did you know? When did you decide to become a professional comedian? It was the day my ice cream business got taken away. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess this is all I have left. So we'll do this. this I love that uh, for you, comedy was the backup plan. You know, most, it pretty much was. <laughs> most people have a backup plan from comedy. Yours is like, yeah. man, I'm going to have to fall back on this stand-up career. Yeah, this is all I got left. Wow. So when did you move back to the States then? So shortly after the ice cream truck business got taken, my wife and I, had, she had lived, she's Chinese, but she had lived in the States before. We had kind of want, been wanting to move mm. back. And so when that got taken away, we're like, all right, sounds good. Time to go. Um, a few months later, we got married and then took off and moved to New York. 2016. So, yeah, and you yeah. live in New York City? Yeah, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Is that neighborhood. Hipster. Hipster. Not where yeah. we are. We live in the uncool. It's so funny. Like, housing prices are double if you live in the cool neighborhood. Oh, really? We live in like a lame, boring neighborhood, but it's just as nice as the cool neighborhood. It just doesn't have the name, you know? So we live in, it's called Clinton Hill, yep. and it's where uh, Notorious B.I.G. is from. Oh, really? But he always said he was from Bed-Stuy because it sounded cooler. <laughs> but he's from like the boring, like just yeah. middle-class neighborhood. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you, And so you moved to New York, obviously just been doing stand-up there yeah. Since? Yeah. So moved there. It was real brutal at first. It's like you're no one's. It's impossible to break in, you know. And uh, it, there is this funny thing because there is a bit of an obsession with the New York scene mm -hmm. around. I think. Um, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for everywhere, but it seems to be that that scene that everyone looks to and goes, oh, in New York, they do five sets a night. They yeah, like everyone's asking me that when I'm here. <laughs> People are like, all the comedians are like, whenever there's a lull in the conversation, they're like, so what's New York like? <laughs> How many sets have you done in a night? That's like the number one question I get. Is, it, is, the, is that though, the like, is it like that or is it just, because I, I have a theory that every comedy scene is roughly similar in a lot of ways. Like they all have the same elements. But the, the size just varies. So there's yeah. every scene has a percentage of really, really good people, yep. a percentage of middle-of-the-road people, and a percentage of people you go, wow, they're still doing it. Yes. But the size of the scene like, will determine how many of those people exist. Is that, is that your experience? Of or? course. Yeah. And there's an extra level in New York. So the bottom level, there's the, wow, they're still doing it people. Yep. Those people are not even close to the worst people. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a whole level below them of, like, literal uh, homeless and crazy people. <laughs> Isn't like, it good to see they've got Full-on homeless. homeless. <laughs> so when I first moved to New York, I did, I think I only did three open mics. I've only done three open mics the entire time I was there. Oh, and wow. Open mics are brutal. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm yeah. saying that I, to keep my sanity, I only did three. Because, you, first of all, you have to pay to do them. Oh, wow. And then, um, <clears throat> and then you go up, no one's paying attention. 
The only people in, they're at like three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday. Oh yeah, with classic comedy time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so no one's there watching except other comedians or homeless people, and they're going on the show. So there's there's one sorry the ones we have to pay usually the homeless people don't go up because yeah. like, why spend money on that. But um, there are free ones. Like this place called UCB. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah, yeah. Amy Poehler started it. It's an improv theater. But they used to have, at least when I first moved there, a free open mic on, I don't know what day of the week. But it was like 3 in the afternoon on Wednesdays. And so I went to that. That was one of the three I did. I'm like, because I don't have to pay. That sounds and, great. And you've heard of it. Like I've heard of the venue. UCB. Yeah. It's, you know, it's and you get there, and it's packed. It's like seats maybe 80 to 100 people. Oh, wow. And it's full. So you think, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. It's an audience. It's full, of, but it's all comedians. Oh. Uh, but And so the way they do it is they, they draw out of a hat to see who's going up next. And it actually does help because that gets people to stay. Because otherwise people just leave after their set, you know? Um, so I'm going up. I, I don't know when I'm going up, but uh, you only do, and you do three minutes. So you get like two jokes or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the person goes up, who goes up, it ends up before me. She walks up with like a plastic bag, a okay. full plastic bag. Black, black, like plastic bag. Like, you know, like, like a, a garbage, garbage bag. bag. A garbage yep, bag. Yep. And then um, she goes on stage, and I'm like, oh, this is like a prop com comedian. This is a yeah, bit. This would be, be cool. It's yeah, a bit this would be cool. And she looks full on homeless. She grabs the microphone and just starts screaming into it. Essentially, a homeless person screaming on the side of the street in New York City. Like, can I cuss on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. She's like, fuck you, bitch. I'll suck your dick. Fuck you. That guy owes me. You owe me money. I'm going to come fight you. I'm going to kick your ass. Stop looking at me. I'm going to fucking kick your ass. Stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. <laughs> and the whole crowd goes, oh, my God. This is this person's ranting. This is performance art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems like that for a minute. And then when it gets like two or three minutes in, and it's I think she's like talking about JFK is still alive. And like, oh. there's no jokes. It's just yeah. crazy screaming. And then uh, the guy goes up on stage. He's like, okay, thanks. And our next comedian, Turner Sparks. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. I didn't even How wanna... do you follow homeless? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, gr I like, I'm like, do I have to grab the mic? The guy's like, do whatever you want. And so I, like, left the mic in and kind of told my jokes. But also, like, no one wants to hear my jokes. We're all still processing yeah. what we just saw. And then I leave, and I think that was the last one I ever did. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to perform with comedians <laughs> from now on. So I got I got lucky. This is this is the getting lucky in New York City. Is um, I got to do a real show at a club, and uh, luckily the guy going on after me was a comedian, but also the booker at this other this small club in town called the Comedy. Sh now it's called the Comedy Shop. It's called the Lantern. And when I was coming off stage and he was walking on, he goes, "Hey man, wait for me. I want to talk to you after." I'm like, "Okay." So I wait for him. He comes back off. He goes, hey, I booked. He goes, you owe me money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it, suck your dick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he goes, hey, I run a place called The Comedy Shop and or The Lantern. And uh, would you be up for barking? I didn't even know what that meant. And that means standing outside his show, his club, and trying, like, passing out flyers. Yeah, lying about who's on the. On yeah, the yeah, yeah. Although they didn't lie. That, this is, like, a more legit one. But just trying to get people to come in. Yep. And if you do that, that's like in exchange for stage time, right? And I think it was that afternoon that I finished this homeless open mic. And I was like, yes, I'm up for anything. He's like, all right, well, what I'll do for you is uh, what we can do is 
if you bark for two shows, he's like, I'll give you six shows a week. You bark for two, um, then I'll have you host two, MC two, and then I'll just give you two spots. So you're even you're on the ones you bark for. Yep. And uh, so I'm like, I, yeah, I think that sounds good. I'll do that. And he's like, okay, can you come tomorrow night and host? I'm like, sure. That's and good. so then th- I f- finished that. And the few comedians I knew in New York City, I called them. I'm like, is, it, is this a good deal? I don't know what is a good deal. I've been, yeah. I've been in town a week. Like, I don't know what is, is that a good deal? They're like, yeah, I think it's a good deal. No one else gets that. Everyone else, you have to bark for every spot you're on. So if he's giving you spots you don't have to bark for the two, do it. So I'm like, I did, uh, sure, I did it. So I did that for a year. And within that year, through ho- I only, pretty much only worked that club, but everyone comes through. So I got yeah. to know comedians all over town, and they started, you know, giving me spots on their shows. And so after a year, I had enough spots around town, was in and enough clubs, I didn't have to do that anymore. So that was like perfect case scenario. Yeah, but it, it's tough. It's it would have been it would have been interesting too, and I don't know how, because it always fascinates me too when people turn up to a new scene that have started somewhere else. Yeah, but to the new scene they're brand new yep so they're not making their very first open mic mistakes in yeah. front of that so you rock up to like what is essentially an open mic no one knows you and you get to be the guy that's really good because yeah. you've you've done the the work off in another area which is that is there much because i don't know how that'd play in new york because i know a lot of people move there to yeah. try and try and go full time so at open mics it it genuinely doesn't help at all because no one's paying attention at open mics yeah no one's there to see other acts or anything it does it helps a lot on you can get spots at like bar shows so i think when i came in i had like nine or ten spots and that was off of email just essentially cold calling had you emailing had had you like any of those comics you brought out did they help you yeah, so what they helped with, some of them got me spots, and then uh, some of them got me lists. There's this guy, actually, he, he just had a Netflix special, Shang Wang. Yes. You see that? Yeah, yeah. So he's a, a good friend of mine, and he was super helpful. He had come and done our China tour, whatever, 2014 or 15, and he gave me this list of like 80, 80 bars that booked, that had comedy shows, and, oh, the, nice. and the names of the bookers and their contact information. So, I mean, I can say it now. At the time, I think he was like, "Don't use my name because it's a private <laughs> list." I'm just, re- I'm just remembering that. Who gives a shit now? Yeah. But uh, so he's like, "But just email them, send them a video, and see what happens." So I emailed like all eighty, and out of those, I think ten said yes. That uh, see, that great. goes back to what we were talking about before about you know you can win the competition, but if you screw over everyone in the competition, yeah, yeah. it's it's your network that helps get. I remember the the very first, I think it was the very first time or the second time I went to Melbourne to do spots and I'd worked with Ronnie Chang yeah um a bunch in Sydney hosting here and he just said to me oh yeah ever come to Melbourne let me know and I'll help hook up gigs and the nicest man in the world yeah I I literally just said hey I'm thinking of coming down these days and just all of a sudden I'm cc'd on all these emails to room bookers this is my friend Andrew he's funny book him awesome <laughs> it's just that's like, all you need but and that's that exactly helps. what you need that yeah. help get introduced to a new new place and and like here's a, a, the thing about new york is i th- people visit and this say this to me a lot they're like i emailed the guy he never responded I'm like yeah because he gets a thousand yeah hours. i'm like <laughs> no no you have to think wow someone responded yeah. has to be your idea you can't yeah. most of these people are never going to respond because they no. get a thousand a day yeah yeah so um anyway those 10 spots led to one of those happened to be the one where the guy saw me and i got into the club that's 
That's it. Yeah, it's good. So now though, you've you've recorded two specials. Yeah. Two spe- and have, are they both been at the Friars Club? Yes. So this is another thing. The Friars Club, I mean, obviously is not as famous out here, but we know it through that was the original roast. Yes, that's where all the roasts started. Started there in like the fifties. Explain to uh, Australian people <laughs> what is the Friars Club? Yes. How did that come about? Uh, what is the club? Yeah, straight and, there. Okay. And then how how did you get involved? How did I get involved? So the club started in I think nineteen oh four, and it's a private club. Think of like a country club without a golf course. Okay, like a city club. Some yeah. they have those right. So it's a private club for comedians and entertainers in New York City. Oh, nice. So entertainers, so musicians, singers. It's where the Rat Pack, like Frank Sinatra. Yep. Frank Sinatra was the head of the club, the president of the club, the, the chairman of the board, right? Yes. That nickname? So that is from? That's from the Friars Club. Okay. Yeah, so he was the chairman of the board of the Friars Club from whenever, like the 50s, until he died in 1997 or something. Wow. And so it was where him and Sammy Davis and Dean Martin and everybody hung out. And so it was this crazy, like, stand it, try to get in, try to private club, but everybody's trying to get an invite all the time. He was mm. at the bar, sitting there all the time. So it's six stories high, six or seven. Um, oh, wow. Independent building. It's not part of a bigger building. And uh, on, there's a dining room and a bar on the first floor. Second floor has a showroom and another bar. And then there's uh, now there's like a co-working space and they're putting in a podcast studio and there's a pool table and a gym on the top floor. Oh, wow. So you can go there any you can go there just to work out. You know, I, I do sometimes you can go Is there. There's a decent anything. gym. It's great. Yeah, it's really nice. No one's ever in there. It's like a very nice hotel gym. Like I was going to say, I don't think um, Frank Sinatra doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's <laughs> yeah. on, just on a treadmill or, you know, I gotta, yeah, I gotta get my, it's leg day, guys. So I gotta yeah, get, exactly. get my squats in. So they were doing, in the 50s, they were doing the private roast there all the time. And it was like, uh, uh, who's the guy that Sinatra used to always get ripped on? The comedian. Um, uh, um, the insult comic. The, uh, bald, the old bald yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I can't think of his name. I was only hearing because he he famously um, he was like the only guy who could rip on Sinatra to his face. Yeah, no one else would let him because the mob would kill him. What was his or name? Something. But I can't because he, he was in it's not Dirty magic. Business. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dirty yeah. Work or whatever. Dirty Work. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dirty what Work. What is his name? <laughs> he was hilarious. Yeah, we'll think of it. We'll yeah, think yeah. of it. But anyway, so that's what that that was that iteration that era, right? Yep. And then in the nineties. Uh, Jeff Ross became yep. a member and took these roasts, said, like, the world needs to see these. So he took it to Comedy Central, and Comedy Central started airing the roasts, and that's where the modern roasts all come from. Oh, so wow. it went from a private thing they do at the Friars Club to, like, Jeff Ross is like, everyone needs to see this. So he took it to this Comedy Central. Comedy, uh, uh, the first few were the Comedy Central roast mm. of, like, whoever, you yeah, know. Yeah. And, um, and then eventually... Comedy Central kind of took it over with Jeff Ross and did it. So um, that so I became and it's still there's still all these a, a lot of people who are members who you don't think about. I think well the the rooms are named after members. So the the um, Barbara Streisand Bar is one of the rooms. The Billy oh, Crystal wow. Bar. Uh, the oh, man, what are all the rooms? I can't, I can't think of them right now. But um, 
Oh, the the. Do you know Richard Lewis? Yeah. So the bathroom, the toilet in the basement's named after him. <laughs> That's fantastic. And they every time they name something after someone, they have him come and cut a ribbon and do a big event. So he flew in to get the toilet named after him in the oh, basement just to like shit on him. That's so good. He's so good in Curb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all those guys are members. Uh, uh, the uh, Jeff Green, Jeff, uh, not Green, Green, Jeff Green's the name of the character, but Susie Essman, you know, Susie, yeah. she's a big member of the club. Oh, wow. Um, all those kind of people. And so it's, so I host a monthly show there where we get old member, we get like young New York stand-up comics and then to do sets, and we get old members who aren't necessarily stand-ups, but are in comedy. So a couple months ago, we had uh, Mike Reese, who's a original and current still writer for The Simpsons. Oh, wow. And he was the original writer, had, he's been the head writer for like 45 years. He hired Conan in the 90s to Bloody write for the yeah. show. He's never, he, he only did stand-up in college, and he's like in his 60s now. His wife came, all his friends from college came, and they're like, holy shit, how did you convince him to do stand-up? <laughs> I'm like, I just saw him one time and asked him, and he said yes. Absolutely killed. That's all, yeah. Yeah, absolutely well, destroyed. If, with that writing cred, like yeah, credits. Yeah, of course. He's been writing it. jokes for 40 years. Yeah. You know, and he was so nervous before he went on. He's like, please tell him I'm not a stand-up. I don't do this. Just tell him I'm a writer. And so I did all that, and then he just murdered. And I'm like, me and the other comics are in the back. We're like, he could be a famous. He could have a Netflix special tomorrow. That's so. Isn't it funny how non like people who are like writers or comedians in other slightly other fields, yeah, still get real nervous around stand up. And it's like, yeah, I I remember doing a gig with a guy, Glenn Robbins, who's quite famous Australian comedian yeah. and he, we were just on this pub gig together in Melbourne and I remember him talking he was only doing it as a favour he said oh I'm doing this a favour to Dave O'Neill who was running the room another great comic great Australian comic he goes oh, I don't do enough stand up I shouldn't be doing Yeah. and I was like well, I can't believe how nervous he is and then just watched him go out and slay <laughs> it's crazy. for 20 minutes and I'm just like this is insane I it's can't crazy. believe you were nervous yeah we had this guy last month named Neil Berliner and he yep. wrote for all the roasts in the 90s and it ended up writing for Howard Stern for a long time. Oh, wow. And uh, same thing, super nervous, went up and killed. We had this other guy, uh, Jeremy Carrigan, who's a playwright, a Broadway playwright. Yep. And But a lot of his plays are like comedic. His last one, it was called Lifespan of a Fact, and it had, uh, what's the guy's name who plays Harry Potter? Oh, um, Daniel Radcliffe? Daniel Radcliffe was in it. We, wow. My wife and I went to see it, fantastic. He was really nervous, went up and killed. Was stand- He's not a stand-up, he's a playwright. But these guys are professional writers. You know what, though? If if people who are professional writers and haven't done stand-up, if they come in too confident, yeah. that's the worst sign. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah. like when yeah. when a guy who's got those writing chops comes yeah. in nervous, you go, okay, you're going to have the exact amount of adrenaline you need to get this done. Well, and he came and watched. A, he's like, yes, I want to do it, but I want to watch a few first. So he came yep. as an audience member, watched a couple shows, and then went up and destroyed. And it's this unique thing that you're not seeing. There's nowhere else putting those kind of shows on. You know what I mean? That's insane. That's and they're so only good. doing it because they're comfortable in their own club. Yeah. They know half the audience. It's friends and family. Plus, It's fun. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's the Friars Club. That's excellent. So how did so you how did you get to oh, host the? So I went to watch a show there one time. A friend was performing, and he said, "Hey, do you want to come watch?" And I, my wife and I were like, "Yeah, we've never been to the Friars Club. It's 2018. Sounds cool." Um, so we go, we watch, and afterwards, I'm talking to this guy who's like the events coordinator at the bar. I'm just talking to him, and he, I'm like, "What do you do?" He's like, "Oh, actually, I work here. I, I run all the events." 
I'm like, oh, cool. What do you got coming up? He's like, oh, we have this great show in next month. You should come watch. It's all international comedians. And I was like, oh, I started internationally. Who do you have? And he's like, you started internationally? I'm like, yeah. Like, who's on the show? And he's like, oh. Well, to be honest, like, I don't know anyone. We haven't booked anyone yet. He's like, can you help me book it? And I was like, sure. So I essentially, I wasn't even on. I just produced, I booked the whole show. And through booking it, I got to know him. And he's like, you're a stand-up? I'm like, yeah. He's like, can I see some clips? I showed him clips. After we booked, after the show ended, uh, a week later, he called me. And he's like, would you be interested in joining the club? I'm like, oh. yeah, totally. And he's like, awesome. All right, well, like, we can get you in, fill out this paperwork. And it was just, like, kind of, like, off and running. What a great stamp. To, like, because I know there's, I mean, because the, the part of the job is it's so intangible. Mm-hmm. Because anyone, like Seinfeld says, you know, first day you've got the same title as the guy who's been going 20 years. Yeah. Comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, so it's, sometimes it can feel a bit intense. But that is one of the, you get these moments, I think, where you, get those stamps of approval, you go, oh, I feel like a real comedian now. Totally. That must have been a massive one. Like, I'm, I'm, man, I'm part of show business. It's kind of crazy. So when I perform around the U.S., a lot of times the opener will want to say it. Like, this guy's – I'm now on the board of the club. Oh. And, uh, and so a lot of times the opener will be like, oh, can I tell the audience? And I always say, like, yeah, sure. In America, they do a lot of credits before yeah, they yeah. bring you out. Um, and I'm like, yeah, sure. And I know what's going to happen. 80% of the audience, or, fi- or 70%, won't have any idea what that means. And 30% will think it's like the coolest thing on planet Earth. And I'm like, good enough, whatever. Yeah. Sounds cool, you know. So, yeah. It's, it's funny that um, American, like, because that, working with American comedians, it's always that, the, you know, okay. Because I always, when I host, I always ask, what do you, do you want any for your intro? I and American so. comedians always have credits to yeah. give. Whereas Australia, yeah, say what you want. Because yeah. I think sometimes Australian audiences, where, and Australian comedians that you know you start here, you come up with Australian audiences, you can get a bit um, gun shy with it. Is, is sometimes Australian audiences are like they'll hear a list of credits, and go, oh, this guy thinks he's good, does he? <laughs> yeah, they don't like it. Right? Yeah, they they're like, oh, <laughs> thinks he's thinks he's well, we'll see about. Thinks he's funny. We'll yeah, see about we'll knock it's, him down a peg or two. Yeah, it's so it's such a weird thing. So every Australian comedian's like, yeah, man, don't worry. Yeah, like I've noticed not, that because I'm hosting all week now at the, yeah. the store and everyone's like, no, 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 don't say anything. Don't say anything. <laughs> if anything, they'll just say, say where I'm from. Yeah. Like, it helps lead into my first bit or something. Yeah, say, exactly. Oh, he's coming in from Melbourne or something. I, or occasionally you'll get, hey, don't mention this because I'll talk, I'll reveal it later. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's no, in, very in rarely In the U.S., credit. the reason why um, comedy audiences can be, especially in New York and L.A., skeptical of the show they're going to see. So it's almost validating their decision to come out that night. Yeah. So they can go home and go, we saw a guy on Comedy Central, and he, another guy was on HBO, and another guy was this. So they can brag to their friends. Yeah. Otherwise, it gives them context. They like it. So the Australian case. audiences are more likely to hear, like, okay, this guy's from the US. They'll just go, well, he, he bothered to come here. He must be all right. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? like, well, so that's all I've been telling him. I know, I, if, once I got here and saw that's what's going on, I don't yeah. tell people to do credits either. I just say, just say I'm in, in from New York. Yeah. It helps me lead into what I'm doing. And, and that's what people, but Australian audiences do love, um, like if someone's bothered to travel to come here, like yeah. they're like, okay, great. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We know how far away we yeah. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the rest of the world. So yeah. yeah, there is that validation. But yeah, especially an Aussie company. Oh yeah, this guy's got a cracking point. Like, <laughs> Nah, mate. <coughs> we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've had a few because I did all the, I did a bunch of stuff on Fox Sports, like these yeah. shows, which were great and they're successful shows, but it's like a 
it's cable television yeah. and it's like so it's a, it's a small section of the audience you either know okay. those shows and liked them or potentially saw them and hated them or <laughs> the um or you're just totally oblivious and so there's a few times when people you've seen this guy on and then i walk up and the audience especially if you're in an inner city crowd where people aren't really the people that are coming out aren't paying for cable to sit home on a Friday night to yeah. watch their watch sport. Yeah, they're, they're actually people who've come out to so to this two different. You just get this confused look, and then occasionally you'll get a guy who just yells out something like because so the guy I work with is the professor, so we're it's like the you know we get introduced as the professor and Barney. Yeah, and so I'll go on stage and someone will go, "Where's the professor?" Oh and you just hear all these people like. And then you have to address it and explain yeah. it. Like, I'm on oh, a radio show. This I, other guy's name yeah, is Professor. Listen, man, I appreciate I appreciate you, but you've just confused everyone. <laughs> yeah. So um, I did a show, and maybe this will lead into this. Uh, Dave Hughes dropped in on the show I was on the other night. Yeah, you, so you sent me a message about this, and you said you didn't realize how famous Dave was. I didn't know he was famous at all. <laughs> um, He's pretty... Um, pretty like uh, unpretentious like that too just sort of rock in and very uh, cool g'day mate who are you like, yeah. yeah yeah there you go so his he said on stage though i don't think this is giving too much away but he said that uh when he was he said he was just in la and they introduced him as you've seen this next comedian on the mass singer australia <laughs> <laughs> and he was like yeah the whole the whole audience is like no we haven't <laughs> what the Masked Singer Australia? I guess he's on the Masked Singer. Yeah, yeah, he's one of the judges yeah. on the Masked okay. Singer. Yeah, he's on everything, Danny. He's, he's, he he's was awesome. Like, oh my god, what a killer! He's he one of destroyed. those destroyed. He's one of those so funny guys who does he does radio, does television, does everything. But and he's just still, still just a mad gig pig. Like he does radio, um, Sydney Breakfast Radio. But his family, I mean. Last time I spoke to him, this was last year, was still down in Melbourne. His kids were in school in Melbourne. So he'd sort of split his week and he'd be... Uh, so he'd, he'd drop into the store just because... Like, I remember talking to him. He goes, oh, it's either that or I s sit home in a... Uh, I mean... Like, you know what I mean? In an yeah. apartment on my own. Oh, I see. Yeah, I may yeah, as well yeah. come out and do... He goes, I love this. I enjoy it. And he just... I mean, why not if you're that good? He was oh. murdering. Well, that's why he's so... And he... Because he yeah. just... He's one of these guys... You know, sometimes you see people that they, they get their side career and the stand-up sort of yep because the stand-up takes a lot of effort to just stay in it you yep. can't really pause it um that but he's never done that he's just always just kept gigging and you could tell it was fresh yeah. material too yeah he had just come back from la and he told me in the back and i almost feel like he only talked about it because i was emceeing and i was talking about being out here and when i went in the back he's like oh i have a similar joke to you but it's like in reverse because i was in america he's like i'll talk about it up there and then he did this 10, 15, whatever minute set. Sp the whole thing was the story of being in LA a couple weeks ago. And it was punch, 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 punch. So good. That's so funny. Right. Yeah. I was bummed because I didn't I genuinely didn't know he was famous till the next day. And then when I saw the lineup the next day and he wasn't on it, I was like, oh, that guy, what happened to him? Why isn't he on the rest of the week? Oh, he shouldn't have been bummed. Yeah. <laughs> So this this is the Tuesday gig. Yes. Now I woke up. I sent you a message to try and line up uh, line up this on Tuesday night because um, uh, I've been doing it's it's been hard to try and line this up because I've been doing this drive summer drive radio, yeah. and so I did. I sort of got back and had a long day, and I, just, I sent it to you to try and line up a time, and then I wake up to a message from you. You must have sent it about one thirty a.m. Probably yeah. Just saying, sorry, man, 
wild night. <laughs> yeah. Explain the rest of the message because this was we talked about it. We, I've been doing SEN radio and we talked about it on air the next day, like how insane this story is. Oh my gosh. So you must have messaged me, I don't know, six or seven PM on Tuesday. Yeah. Something like that. And by seven thirty that night, I didn't have my phone anymore. We'll start there. <laughs> what? Okay. So we, at six PM I get an email from the club. Uh, we're doing it at the Inmore Theater. Yes, so the, in, in the in a small comedy room. club. The yeah, it's like it's probably 100 seats. Yeah, probably it's a, yeah, it's 80 on the ground, 20 in the balcony. Yep. And at 6 p.m., I get an, an email from the guy who books the comedy store, and he says to all of us, it goes, hey, new lineup. Um, these three comics aren't on the show anymore. The first half is going to be uh, Turner. I was hosting a guy, Michael Hing. Yep. You might know. Uh, and then Dave Hughes is dropping in. We had found out the day before Dave Hughes was dropping in. I didn't, but right. I didn't know what that meant. But anyway, Dave Hughes is dropping in. And then um, who are the other people? Sean, Sean Woolen. Sean Woodland. Yep. Woodland, yeah. He's and, funny, dude. Oh, my gosh. He's great. So yeah, good. yeah. Uh, and this other girl, Alexandra Hudson. That yes. Was, that was who was on. Okay, so you guys are on the first half. You all are on the first half. We're going to take a break. And in the second half, all it says is special guest. Ooh. That's all I know. And... I had an inkling for who it was because of my connection with my friend Andy Curtin, yep. who I started with, who now runs Live Nation. I knew the tour he was running. I messaged Andy. I said, is this who it is? He said, yes. So I knew at like 6 p.m., but no one else knew. And I told – I won't say yet. I'll reveal it in a minute. But I, I go – so then I, I'm in my friend's apartment, who I'm, or who I'm staying with, and I go, hey, man, this person's going to be headlining tonight. You should buy a ticket. He goes online to buy a ticket. It's already sold out. No. Apparently, they had emailed all the customers, like their regular ticket buyers on their email list that morning, the venue had, and said, we have a special guest. We can't tell you who it is, but tickets are half price, and they include a beer. So they just <laughs> wanted to make sure it was full. <laughs> so it was $10 tickets includes a beer. This is yeah. this is insane. So when, so when we reveal this, I'm going to talk about because I mentioned on radio that this happened. Yeah. And um, one of the guests... One of the texters who's going to see, uh, yeah, going to the show. This show, the big act, is um, he emailed in and he'd spent two hundred and forty bucks a person, <laughs> <laughs> ten bucks including a beer. They give you a free beer. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna update the audience on yeah. that. Savo on radio. And so it was. Uh, so anyway, we get there. I get there at like seven fifteen, maybe. Yep. The shows at eight. Come in and they go. All right, you need. It. Here's your wristband. So for the venue, here's your wristband for backstage because you're on. I'd done this venue the week before. There's no wristband. There's no wristbands no. ever. I've done so that venue a million times. Essentially There's a never bar a wristband. Show. Yeah. yeah. And uh, here's this pouch. You have to put your phone in it. We're gonna lock it. You can you can hold on to the pouch, but we we won't unlock it till the whole night's over. <laughs> I'm like, this, this is, is wild. Yeah. So we um, go in, and then they're like, you're a comedian. You can go in back. I go in back, which is that kind of hallway area, yep. you know, and they set up these chairs for us. And they're like, all right, so all of the essentially Australian acts, which includes me, yep. they're like, you can sit here. There's an extra level of backstage you're not allowed to go to. <laughs> That's only for the special guests. So I'm told it's exactly what I told you. It's the four of us in the ha first half and yep. then the guests. So I go out to MC. Um, the crowd doesn't know what's going on. So I, I do MC, I do seven, I don't know, seven or eight minutes. They cut everyone's time to, to make sure the second half can have more. Uh, goes well. 
uh, bring up uh, the next act, and then uh, which is Michael Hing. He, uh, but I also tell them they all know. Hey, there's a special guest. Well, who's going to be? Wow, yeah. it's exciting. Yeah, but you're building the tension. Building the tension. The yeah, I'm like, this yeah. is crazy. Who's it going to be? <laughs> I knew who it was, but I acted like I didn't know. I'm yes. like, who could it be? Oh my god. And I was worried someone might shout it out. Our, also, I'll say that our wristbands had the name of the headliner <laughs> on the wristband. This is how big he is. He had his own private labeled wristbands. That is. And so I'm like, someone's going to look at my wristband and know. No, it never happened. No one ever <laughs> knew. So then I bring up Michael Hing. He does great. Alexandra does great. Um, and then I bring out Dave Hughes, and the place explodes. I wish I would have known, because I would have played it up more, that this, okay, now it's time for your special <laughs> guest, Dave Hughes. Anyway, they explode. I realized later, they all think that's it. You know, a lot of people told me after, like, I thought Dave, when Dave Hughes came out, I went, whoa, we're going to see Dave Hughes. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the funniest comedians I've seen. Like, really funny, um, as we said earlier. And then and then uh, Sean Woodland comes out, kills it. That's I will say this about Dave, and I've had to do that Woodland spot when <laughs> Dave drops yeah, in. Yeah, That's not fair, Dave. Just, just close the half. Why not? He never just, wants. He yeah. never wants to because he because he's humble dude. He is yeah. a, like he's not. But yeah, I've had to follow, and it's it's. Yeah, you're resetting a room after Dave Hughes is going out there. Like you but, see people going for their purse, thinking the half's over. Yeah, well, but I'll say this: having no, I didn't understand any of that in the moment. Mm. It didn't seem too odd to me. Sean did a great job. Yeah, oh, Sean's yeah killer. Yeah, and uh, but uh, here's how I knew Dave Hughes was famous when he walked on stage. First of all, everyone like popped, the room popped, mm. and then he's like, "Yeah, uh, have to put your phones away, huh?" That's what when I go to America, it's reverse. I make them put their phones in a pouch. <laughs> And to me, that was hilarious. <laughs> no one in the audience laughed. And then he goes, I'm just fucking kidding. No one knows who I am in America. And then they <laughs> laughed. And I was like, oh, they must know who he is here to even think that's plausible. Yeah. You know? uh, anyway. Plus, they're probably doing the math. Oh, it's an American comedian. Yeah. 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 So then we, we hit the break. And then uh, as I come off at the break, I realize this guy named Jeff Ross. Yep. Who's a, the Roastmaster. The Roastmaster General. Yeah, the Roastmaster General. I realized when I come off of the break, he's been sitting wa in the room watching the whole show. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I will say this. I didn't even know he was on the show. I didn't know. Even at that moment, I went, maybe he just came to watch. I know he's in town. And maybe he's coming to watch. Um, I didn't even know he's on the show. And then he follows me into the back. He goes, Turner, great job. I've been watching the whole first half. Great job hosting. I went, uh, have oh, you thanks. Have you met him before? No. Oh, wow. And uh, he goes, great job hosting. And, and then he goes, do you live here? And I was like, no, I've been here a week. And then I was like, actually, I'm on the board of the Friars Club. Now, he's a big member of the Friars Club. Yep. He goes, oh, fantastic. Uh, right at that moment, this guy from Live Nation, the big company, comes up and it's like, so I guess we'll just reveal now. Yeah. The, ho the headliner is uh, Dave Chappelle. Holy shit. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. So um, – this guy, so Live Nation is putting on the Dave Chappelle tour. Andy Curtin's putting on this tour. My old buddy, Andy's not in town yet, but it's his colleague, colleagues who are there, right? Mm. So one of his colleagues comes up to uh, Jeff Ross nine and says, like, hey, Jeff, don't worry. Uh, Turner's going to, we're having Turner back announce the second half. You guys can just do your sets. And Jeff Ross turns to me and goes, what does back announce mean? <laughs> and I just found out like a couple days earlier. I was like, oh, it means, I guess, like I'm off stage and I do this like voice yeah. of God mic. I just talk into the mic, but I'm not actually on stage. Yeah. 
He turns back to the other guy. He goes, no, 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 fuck that. Turner's killing as a host. We're having Turner host the second half. We're doing a real second half. And then he's, and then he's like, Turner, do as much time as you want. Just <laughs> between acts, do as much time as you want. Get him comfortable and then bring us up one by one. I'm like, awesome. Sounds great. And then he goes, come with me. He takes me down into like the basement where there's of the theater where there's there. That's the, the, backstage, the backstage where they're allowed into. Oh my, it looks like a five-star hotel. Yeah, it's lovely. It has like bedrooms, it has a kitchen, a dining room table. Mm -hmm. It's like a hotel suite. And so he takes me down there, introduces me to everybody except Chappelle, who's not, they can't find him because I don't know where he is. Yeah. Um, so we go out for the second half. I do like five minutes. I bring out the guy who's opening their whole their whole tour. Who I, I didn't know him. He's, he's good. He does a good set. And then uh, next up is supposed to be either Jeff Ross or Donnell Rollins. Oh, wow. Who's a big act in the yeah. U.S. He was on Chappelle's show. Um, all these guys could have easily, they could have been the special guests. Right? Yeah. Jeff Ross sells out theaters in the United States by himself. Yeah, Jeff Ross would probably do well touring here. Like, he's yeah. well known. So, so then, and also that's when I found out it's not only, I thought it was just Dave Chappelle in the second half. These people are going to get to see all these guys. All right. So and they're basically getting the Chappelle show, like the yeah, the, yeah, the stadium in show. a second half. Yeah. So the show starts at eight. We start the second half at nine, nine fifteen, maybe. You know. Oh wow. The first guy comes out, does like twelve minutes, does his time. I'm told Donnell Rollins is going to be next. I'm like, cool. When the the guy comes off after his twelve minutes, Donnell Rollins is nowhere to be found. Hugh, the guy who owns the, who runs the um, the comedy store, yeah. is kind of standing next to me. And as this guy's coming off stage, I'm like, what do I do? Hugh goes, I don't know. Fuck. I'll go find Donald Rollins. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> and so he just sprints <laughs> off into the bowels of this theater, right? Yep. I run on stage. I don't know how long I'm going to be on stage for. I just know I'm going back on stage. And he's like, I'll light you when we find him. I'm like, so I could be doing two minutes. I could be doing 20 minutes. There's nothing worse as an MC. Oh, no, not. Yeah. What, what do I get into here? What am I getting into? So I'm like, okay. I just go back in. I do a little more crowd work, go back into bits. Luckily, it's going well. About five minutes into that, I see Jeff Ross standing here. And, and, and Hugh's pointing at him like he's next, <laughs> right? And so I'm like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's very exciting. This next comedian... Uh, you might know as the roast master general, put your hands together for Jeff Ross. Explosion. The place is like, holy shit, we get to see Dave Hughes and Jeff Ross. What a night. <laughs> Jeff Ross goes up, destroys, hilarious, super funny. He's jet lagged. He's right off the plane. It takes him a minute, but when he gets into it, the second he walks on stage, this, someone, this girl in the audience goes, roast me. Oh. And he goes, what? She goes, roast me. He goes, and he goes, wait, you guys know what the roasts are? They go, bah! He doesn't oh. even realize people would know who he was. Far out. Kills. And then he, when he comes off, again, no one knows where Donald Rollins is. He was like, fuck, I'll go find him. Races into the bowels of the theater. Come, I do like one minute, and then Donald Rollins is standing there. I go, you, I, and I make a, a distinct point not to say, you know this guy from Chappelle's show, because I don't want to tip what they're about to see. Yeah. So I just say, this guy tours around the world, Donald Rollins. He goes up. Good set. Does great, right? And then, uh, and then when he leaves, again, Chappelle's nowhere to be found. He was like, fuck, I'll go find him. <laughs> don't, every one of these times, I don't know how much time I'm doing. That is, yeah. And I'm like, fuck. So I just go, keep treading water. Just keep treading water. And when and I go back up before Chappelle, at this point, it's like, it's 10. They've been there for two hours. It yeah. feels like the end of the show. And the crowd's also like, 
they don't want to see me again, but I got to get them, you know? And yeah, there's the, you're emceeing after progressively crazier and crazier stuff they've seen. They're and like, what if we, we don't want to go back to this. And they also don't know that it's not my choice. I don't want to go back to me either. Yeah. They're like, this guy wants to, come on, dude, just get on with it. We don't, we've seen you. You yeah. know, you've seen me nine times at this point. So I go back up, I do five more minutes, and then Hugh runs in. He doesn't even get to the light in the room. He literally, in the hallway, just like uh, lights his lighter, like a cigarette <laughs> lighter. You know, and I see this little flame popping up. And I literally, I think I just said, I went, Hugh, so we're ready? He gives me the thumbs up. I go, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is the last act. This is, I'd say, this is a thrill for me, a thrill of a lifetime for me. It is, it's going to be for you. This guy's a living legend. This next comedian, you've seen him on the Chappelle show, Dave Chappelle. And then it's just like absolute chaos, you know? People are like, what are we even doing? Where are we? (laughs) Chappelle does a 90-minute set. He's on for an hour and a half. So this is all for $10 and a beer? $10 and a beer. You get a show that starts at 8, ends at 11.30. You get Dave Hughes, Jeff Ross, Donnell Rollins, Dave Chappelle. Turner Sparks. Me doing nine sets. <laughs> doing, yeah. yeah. Do, doing 80 minutes because you got to fill all the time in yeah, between. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I was up there forever. And uh, I'm going through stuff for my first. I'm like, what well, was on my first album? I'm oh. like on Spotify looking up my own albums. Be like, what other bits do I have from five years ago? And uh, so then, and so that's it. So then he does 90 minutes and. A couple people left in the middle because they were not, I wouldn't even say the middle, probably an hour in. So this is like 10.30. Yeah. Or no, 11 o'clock at night, three hours into the show. A couple people left because they were offended, but they stayed for about an hour. His set is wild. It's like the wildest thing I've ever seen. I would say it's th- a third, like tight stand-up. It's a third long stories, kind of like he does on his specials, you know? Like yep. telling, like something about like, a black person in U.S. history from the 1950s that he wants you to know about. Yeah, yeah. It has a couple jokes along the middle. And then a third crowd work. And some of the crowd work is, oh, also, so then I find out when the show ends that the whole time watching from the balcony were the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> so they're, I, they had a show last night or yeah. in town. So they're in My town. brother went. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So they're in town. They find out about the show. They come. There's rumors the whole night that Dr. Dre and Post Malone are also in the room. What? I don't know if that's true. I think it's not true, but um, it might have been true. Or they might have been there for part of it. Well, Post Malone is opening for the Peppers on this tour. Yeah. Chili Peppers. So I do know for a fact, because I was standing next to him, Post Malone and Dr. Dre have a tequila company. Of of course. Of course. And their staff, the tequila company staff, was standing next, was sitting, standing next to me in the back of the room the whole show. So he might have been like, "I can't make it, but you guys go." Mate, this is I've I've said this to you before. That cultural backwater of New York City you live in—it's ridiculous. You need to get out. Enmore's where it's happening. So this has never happened to me. I've never had a show in New York City where like Seinfeld dropped in. It's happened to half the people I know, but yeah, never, yeah. the closest I've ever got is Gaffigan, but not Chappelle. Jim Gaffigan's fine. Jim Gaffigan's great. He's great, but he's not Dave Chappelle. The the Red Hot Chili Peppers are not coming to see Jim Gaffigan. You're going home to New York with the world's best story. Insane. So his staff, the tequila staff's next to me, and uh, Dave Dave Chappelle's drinking tequila on stage. 
And every once in a while, he'll be like, hey, where's those? Where's the Post Malone tequila guys? And they're like, the bring me some more tequila. So they have a bottle. They just go up and they keep filling him up. And every time Chappelle does crowd work with somebody, he'll talk to him for a while. Like longer. It's not 30 second. Like, hey, a joke, joke, joke. He's okay, like doing this on. podcast level of conversation. Yeah. With He's yeah. having like a real conversation with people in the audience. This one uh, uh, audience member, she's lesbian. He gets her entire coming out story to her parents. That's Over crazy. like 10 minutes. And then when she finishes her story, he's like, Post Malone, guys, give her some tequila. <laughs> so he's passing out tequila to everyone he's doing crowd work with. It's like a house party you that just happen is, to be at. That's so good. Wild. Hey, um, mate, that's the crazy story. I just have to have checked the time. Oh, I've, we've been going forever. We, well, not just that. I need. I've, I could keep going forever, but I, I need to actually go to Oh, you got to be on the work, radio. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got to go talk for a living. Uh, after this, so um, well, can I tell people I'm on Instagram? Please, this is this is exactly what I was getting at. One plug your albums, uh, yes, the specials, uh, all where people can find you, any podcasts or whatever you've got, and I will get all that details and do another uh, little plug in the intro as well. Thank you. Okay, so we're uh, find me on Instagram. I put new stand up clips every week, uh, actual stand up, and uh, it's usually not crowd. It's never been crowd work. It might be <laughs> if I run out of stand up, it might be crowd work. But yeah, uh, stand up clips every week at Turner Sparks, just like it's S P A R K S, at Turner Sparks on Instagram. Podcast is called Lost in America. We talk to comedians around the world every week about. We pick a global news story that's like uh, this week we did Jacinda uh, leaving. Mate, right? This is I was talking to Nick Ratto about this. Is he goes, yeah, I'm doing Turner's podcast. I said, listen. I know, because I know he's done it probably two or three times now. Yeah. Yeah, there cannot be that many things going on in New Zealand. <laughs> we got to get you on. To we got to get Come you on. on. We got to get you on. We'll so, wait till someone fights a crocodile or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if there's a big news story that the, the world we kind of hear about, but we don't know the details of, yep. we get a comedian who lives in that country, and they explain it to us always in a funny way because it's comedians talking to comedians. So that's yeah, called nice. Lost in America. Um and uh, and then my albums, uh, I have one called Live from the Friars Club, went to number two in America, and then uh, Double Happiness went to number one. That's the new one. Congratulations. So check those out. Those are on all the streaming sites. Mate, thanks so much for trekking all hey, the way here to do this. Thank you, dude. This has been a blast. Excellent. We'll catch you next time. All right. <laughs>